She must have been an impressive sight. Her six-foot-tall, powerful build towering over the other criminals in her midst. She ran a school for children, but unlike other schools, she taught the skills these poor orphans would need for their lives of crime. They called her mother, and she ran an empire of pickpockets, conmen, and shoplifters in a way only Charles Dickens could ever dream of. Her name was Frederica Mandelbaum, and for nearly two decades, she ran one of the most successful street gangs in New York history. Hello, and welcome to House It's Not a Movie Yet. Uh, we're back! We're back. We're back, Alex! Glad to be back. It's good to see you. Absolutely. We're, here we are back in the courtroom, and uh, if anybody is has been wondering why we haven't been recording, we're, we've moved. Uh, Alex and I are now living uh, in Philadelphia. We I moved down here in, in August. Alex joined me a few weeks later, and we're finally in a place where we can actually start recording again, because, you know... Work's been crazy and everything, but you know what? This is just a hobby, and I'm glad to be back in the swing of it. So, Alex, how you doing? I'm doing rather well. Good, I'm glad. How about yourself? Things are good? I'm, I've been doing well, Alex. I'm glad to be back behind the microphone. Uh, this is part one of a two-part episode. It's gonna it's our first two-part episode. Uh, the first person that we're going to be talking about is Frederica Mandelbaum. Alex, Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum. <laughs> you could reference Seinfeld on most things most in things. life. Most things. It was. Uh, it, it spanned cultures. Uh, we have uh, Frederica Mandelbaum, who is a fascinating character and ha- lived an incredible life of crime. And you had one of her protégés who we'll talk about briefly in this episode, and then we'll get into more detail in next episode that will come out next week. So, right now, let's get into Frederica Mandelbaum. Alex, uh, where was she born? She was born over in Prussia. That was still a thing back in 1827 when she was born. And she was born, and then she emigrated over with her... Hack of a husband. <laughs> he was so useless. Like every every th- single thing that that I read about this guy, he just was this useless lump. The just best like a, was uh, he's a non entity. Non entity. <laughs> That's how he was described by p- people at the time. They called him a non entity. They called him lazy and useless. <laughs> but you know, his wife was the brains of the operation. It, it seems that he wasn't really involved. I'm going to guess that she married him so she can control him. Well, she he's was a grifter and a pickpocket, but she wasn't even that. She just controlled it all. Yeah, so let's get into that. Uh, She gets to America in... The the articles that we were reading, Alex and I, while we were uh, researching them, we found a lot of discrepancies in just the articles that we were reading together. Uh, There are some that say that she came over in the 1830s, the 1840s, or the 1850s, depending on who you're reading. So in... The most consistent one that we found was 1850s. And in the 1850s, she started peddling small wares, silks, uh, beads uh, in the streets of New York, uh, in where we call now the Lower East Side. At the time, it was a heavy German community. And that's what she did to make a living. And she was, at this time, making a lot of friends, making a community out of this and... Most importantly, talking to the young orphans. Now, 
New York at the time had a, an orphan problem. In 1857, there was a, it seemed like a recession. of like There was like a financial crisis and a lot of families were not able to find work. And these children went out, they became pickpockets. But what Mandelbaum discovered was they would have these items that they didn't know what to do with. So she would buy the items off them and then sell them. And she became what's known as a fence where criminals could go and unload her, their stolen goods. And she would then be able to sell them for a profit for herself. And she was so successful at this that she was able to buy not just one, but two storefronts in New York city and sell stolen goods out of the back of them. And they were, at that point, you know, considered legitimate right. with how much, you know, the the political people that she bought off, the policemen that she bought off, the people in the area. She actually bought a house across the street from her to keep all the stuff so it wasn't actually in the shop itself. One of the fun descriptions that I read, no, no, that you read, you told me about was one of the scams that she would do. See, at this time, and from what I was reading, at this point in New York history, the only people that really cared about the law was the district attorney and some detectives. Regular beat cops, they didn't care. They didn't care about stolen goods. There was a law saying a cop or somebody will can take money without question, go get the item, and... Bring it back to so the that person. was that there was, a, was law. a law. She used the law Jeez. to in her favor for this. Yeah. So what she would do, uh, say, one of her kids would go out and steal a pocket watch by uh, from a rich individual. The individual would go to a police officer and give the police officer fifty dollars. The police officer would then go to Mandelbaum's uh, place, find the stolen item, buy it for $25. So he made a, a, a nice $25 on the deal. And the Mandelbaum would make that profit. Because then she would give the kid, what, like five bucks or whatever? Oh, pennies. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, like, but it, what, it, what it did was that it created this system where the cops had no real reason to go after her. She was providing them money. She was providing the judges. She she became friends with the judge, judges because of her position. She held lavish parties in her apartment that was above one of her uh, stores uh, with stole, with the stolen goods that she would she would steal, and she would invite tons of people over. She would invite uh, uh, the uh, the judges and senators and and uh, the uh, representatives in, in the in the in the city of New York. All coming down to a very poor area. Yeah, These right. people are up on the Upper West Side, and they go down to a poor area to go to one of her parties. So it it was a scam that protected itself. It was a scam that nobody ever wanted to end. What she started doing to keep her business fresh and good, she would basically adopt orphans, and bring. A, she started a school this school that would teach children how to steal, how to pickpocket, how to uh, come up with their own cons. And she would, she was said to have had this great judge of character and she would, great judge of character seeing she would be able to see which of the kids was, would be the most successful. Yeah. yeah. As, Who as would steal the most. <laughs> right. And then she would have levels. So right. if a kid was a great pickpocket, she would move that person up and then make him a grifter. 
And if he became a grifter, then he could go into blackmail. Now, you keep on saying he, but her best protégés were mostly girls. She was actually the first feminist. Right. She, <laughs> In a weird funny, kind of way. As funny as it is, she was the first feminist because she didn't care, male or female, she found some of the times that people with the uh, the lightest fingers were women. So she would go out and find little girls to be able to do this. So she, her inner circle or clique, she, you know, she had this, this uh, clique of women who were master criminals and went on to have their own stories. And next week we're going to be talking about one of them, Sophie Lyons, who in this case is the Artful Dodger to Mandelbaum's Fagan. Her school, the way that she taught these children how to how to become thieves, like professional thieves, she was straight out of a Dickens novel. She was straight out of Oliver Twist. The reason why she shut it down after six years was the... Who was it? The, 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 police ma- chief, the police chief's son. The police chief's son was a member there. And she didn't want to teach them all the secrets and have there be a problem later. Right. So she just shut down the school. She was uh, so successful. She was then able to fund high-end robberies. Or like real big deals. And she was able to put together and fund... A one of New York's first great bank heists. Mm-hmm. Now, th- this character, this this crazy character named George Leonidas Leslie, which, I mean, he's awesome. That's a great name. Uh, Leslie was a he led a double life. A, he was a uh, well-to-do merchant and uh, a person of high, uh, of upper class society, but he loved the. Um, uh, the underworld and put together this plan to steal from the Bank of Manhattan, which had what he was what he was told uh, two million dollars in the vault, and he put this together over three years with Mandelbaum's funding. So what he would do, he paid off a guard in the in the bank, and he would use the bank itself. Uh, to run uh, dry runs of this robbery, which I don't understand. Why didn't he just steal it then? Yeah, I, I don't get I don't, it. I don't, I don't get it either. But I, he, I, think that, I think that he just liked the thrill of it. He also created an exact replica of the vault itself. Right. It's right, right out of, a, right, right out of um, Ocean's Eleven. Incredible. Right? <laughs> Incredible. So, so uh, he ends up dead. Four months before the robbery even happens because they they figure he was probably talking about it too much and somebody silenced him. Uh, whether that was Mandelbaum or not, Mandelbaum didn't seem to get her hands dirty in anything. She was always the money behind uh, a robbery. She never, th- she never stole herself. They said that she was actually a very nice, kind, motherly woman, but... Uh, you know, obviously she's profiting off of the theft from others. Well, one of my favorite things that she did was she never had, when talking about anything uh, crime related, she would only have one person in the room so no one would ever be able to corroborate a story uh, and yeah. it would just be 
her word versus the other person's word, and her word always carried a lot of weight. Right, especially when she pays off the judges, because the judge is wondering when her next social event is going to happen. Brilliant. <laughs> yes, Absolutely brilliant. Ter- terrible. Oh my God, it's terrible. Uh, and she also, uh, she was able to keep on retainer two of the biggest names of uh, in uh, the law at the time. Big Billy Howe and Little Abe Hummel who were characters in their own right, and they were kept on retainer uh, by her for $5,000 a year. I mean, like that's a, that's a lot of money back then. Well, because with those, uh, those lawyers, it was important because anyone who got pinched or anyone who was under investigation, she would give them the lawyers. So right. people who were working for her were protected. <laughs> Could you imagine a... a, a a 12-year-old orphan with no, not a dollar to his name goes to court with these two high-class, high-end lawyers. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously that, run, that, that throws up some red flags there. The bank heist that she was going to pull off, uh, that she was funding, went off without a hitch. Uh, they were able to get the money, but there was a problem. There wasn't $2 million. There was only $200,000 that they could use. The rest of it was were... Um, just banknote, uh, unusable banknotes. They couldn't transfer them into money without the person's signature. So really, was it was a lot of planning and not a lot of payoff, and that allowed uh, the district attorney at the time, his name was Peter Olney, to start narrowing down uh, a case against Mandelbaum. Yeah, that was that robbery, that heist was her eventual downfall. Yes, uh, and it was also it's also what uh, tipped off Peter Olney was one of the only honest cops in New York, it seems. Yeah. He really wanted to take down the big crime syndicates and he set his sights on Mandelbaum because he knew that if he took out the money, the the crime network would collapse. And, you know, that he had that philosophy of catch the big fish. So he was able to turn the watchman who they paid off because the watchman didn't get paid the money he was promised. Olney found it very important to stay away from what was obviously at this time a very corrupt police force. Yeah, so because they'd protect they'd protect uh, Mandelbaum before they did, they did their job. Yes, she was were, making them money. Right, exactly. Why would they want to take her to jail? So he went to the Pinkerton Detective Agency, which was a very prestigious agency at the time, and took her down because. They were the people he needed to go after, go with. Right. Uh, he got a, the help from a guy named Gustav Frank, or who he used the alias for this um, sting operation, Gustav Stein. And he pretended to be a up-and-coming criminal who had an idea to steal silk. And he told this to Mandelbaum. Mandelbaum said, well, if the silk ends up in my... My um, my shop, it's none of my business. They were able to specially stamp the silk, the, the Pinkerton detectives, stamped the stil- silk so that it was unmistakably stolen from the store that they said it was stolen from. And so they, would, they were able to get Mendelbaum that way. So when Gustav Stein you know, comes, comes and sells her the, uh, the, the silk, 
the rest of the Pinkerton detectives could come in. They said, this silk is stolen. We got you. We caught you red-handed. There's nothing you could say. You know that this was stolen. We have, you know, Gustav, um, uh, Gustav Frank's testimony that you said this. You ha-, you know, so they were able to get her and a judge could not ignore that. Yeah. So even with her high-powered lawyers, they set her bail. They, she had a date for the a trial. The, the description that you that you found online of of the of what it looked like because somebody wrote it, uh, an article about it at the time, right? Yeah, in the the New York Herald. Can I see it? I'll yeah, read it. Sure. How I want to read this to you guys, like word for word. And so this is written for the New York Herald, and it reported the scene of the uh, of her trial. Rows and rows of stiff-backed, rusty seats were crowded with people who had come to see Mother Mandelbaum, the protectress of thieves, brought to her bar of justice. There were bankers and bank burglars elbowing each other in the eager, chattering throng. But whiskered policemen and dusty old court loungers were jammed together. Lawyers, actors, pickpockets, clergymen, merchants, and clerks by the score strained and jostled and whispered in the most dramatic fashions. In the midst of all this sat Lawyer Howe with his legs crossed and a look of peace in his eyes. There were th- only three empty chairs in the courtroom. When one man tried to take it, he was smartly told that it was for one of the defendants. Detective Frank and Pinkerton lulled sleepily in their chairs. The district attorney and his assistants were brimming with enthusiasm. But yet the lawyer with sparkling diamonds looked happy. Nor could all the detectives and, dis- uh, and district attorneys disturb the beautiful serenity of his rosy countenance. Lawyer Howe arose and looked around the court carefully. His eyebrows went higher and higher up his peaceful brow, and his gaze wandered back to the troubled visage of the district attorney. Then a very red hand that glimmered and shone with jeweled gold swung on high. <laughs> I am forced to confess, he said, that the defendants are not here. No, they are not. They don't write it like they used to. Oh, no. That's brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, like, it's right out of a novel. I mean, it, she... Oh, man. The imagery she of just, that, too. She just left. And what? how they said that it happened, this was one of the accounts because when she made bail, they said, this lady, you have to be on her because she's going to skip bail. There's nothing you can do about it. You have to watch her like a hawk. So she went back to her normal house and they... The Pinkertons set up shop right across the street and had a constant surveillance on her. So what they said she did was she went over like out of sight and then one of her neighbors took her spot and she went out the back oh my God. and then left. And she made her way off with her son to Canada. Yes. Uh, she had uh, two children uh, because this is where you find out in the story that uh, the the law, the... um. The court wanted her assets frozen, so they wanted to freeze them. And it turns out that none of her property were in her name, so they couldn't freeze it. They were all in her daughter's name. And uh, Hummel, the other the other lawyer, was able to backdate all the deeds so that it was never hers. It was always her daughter's. I'm, I'm like the, the the amount of corruption in this Ugh, in this scene is terrible. Is, oh, it's awful. And then I was I was reading when the uh, Pinkerton detectives went to Howe and Hummel after the court scene that that this this raucous charade of a trial they went and they they asked trial well yeah I know right (laughs) Uh, they they went and they asked did did you get paid 
I mean, because trying to flip them, they were like, hey, did you did she give you money? And all Howe did was lean back and jiggle some some silver in his pocket. I mean, like the, obviously the, the 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 good guys lose here, but I think that if you if you tell the story right, you're kind of rooting for for Mandelbaum here. Well, she made a way to Canada. She made her way up to Canada with over a million dollars worth of cash and diamonds. Now, that and today <laughs> is over $25 million <laughs> that she one. made off with. She kept on going to court in Canada and the um, United States government kept on trying to get her extradited back to America and there was no extradition treaty at the time with Canada. So she was able to kind of stay free in uh, outside of Montreal, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but it's also reported she hated Canada. She really wanted to get back to uh, New York. Uh, there's also a rumor that when she died and they sent her body back to New York that the casket was full of rocks and that she changed her name and was able to move back to New York. She would buy anything. She loved silk oh. and diamonds. That was that was her thing. But when uh, it was said after the fire in... Um, Chicago, she, there was a person who took a lot of sheep and Mm -hmm. went on down to New York with all these sheep, found her way to Mandelbaum and (laughs) sold her. And she's like, yeah, I'll buy sheep, whatever. I'll buy the sheep. I'll I'll get it. I'll get rid of them somehow. Don't worry about it. She almost helped out people like that. You know, I, I, there's so many stories about Mandelbaum that would make such a good um, scene in a film. You know, I mean, like, wow. uh, when we're talking about the film Donnie Brasco, and each, after each scene, we would look at each other, we're like, that was a good scene too. That was, there's so many, so there's so many scenes, I could, I could see that this movie would be a lot like a Donnie Brasco. It's about this kind of this, I don't want to say epic, but it would be like a crime it's, saga. I, uh, so yeah, how do we make this into a movie? Well, I think that there is so much material here. We're going to have to like cut things out and cut down the timeline that we focus on. I think that uh, the first act would be her getting into the crime industry, uh, her falling in love with the orphans. I think she could be portrayed as a sympathetic character and a, a strong female character as well. And well, I would say more sympathetic in the beginning, and then all of a sudden, well, you, powerful. You, well, she gets she turns into Walter White at the end. Yeah, exactly. But you have to keep with it with. The trick there is you have to keep her likable, because we were because she wins at the end. She escapes. We have to be kind of rooting for her at the end. Yeah, we're rooting for the district attorney as well. I don't want to turn uh, Peter Olney into an antagonist here, but you know, like you, you're kind of you're kind of on the side of Mandelbaum here. Like I, I want you to to be happy that she gets out, that she that she gets to Canada, and uh, portrayed as good. But I, I want you to be sympathetic to her and to her cause and what she's trying to do for these children. Because at the time, New York had a terrible orphan problem. I mean, like these they, you know these street rats running everywhere, and it was awful. That's and what she, they called them. Street, she, yeah, street rats. There was no sympathy for them, but she had sympathy for them. And that's why I, I really like her character. I really admired her when I was reading about her. And even though she was a criminal, it didn't seem that she was violent. I know that Leslie ended up dead, but uh, many people w- could have killed him, especially people that he was working with on the heist, not just her. She wasn't the only person working with him. So, but you know, so it didn't. It never seemed that she was teaching violence. Just well, I mean, like, but thievery, like you know, pickpocketing from the rich so she could sell them 
sell the rich back their stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, we, you know, we're getting we're getting off. You know, who do who do we see? Because you know, because I I saw the first act as her meeting these the children and getting them into the you know, creating this school. The second act is uh, introducing the district attorney and uh, the um, the bank heist. So like it would be like a, um, him finding out that the district attorney finding out about Mandelbaum's involvement in this this bank heist and him kind of solving the the crime as it were. Yeah, trying to figure out how he could get her, considering that she's she has nothing to do with the actual planning. She's right. just bankrolling it. Right. And then at the end, the last the last act would be Pinkerton detectives coming in and Gustav, uh, you know, setting up his his um, heist or his yeah. sting. And the end of it is trial and her going into Canada and then, you know, credits. Right, most. credits. And the the person who we thought immediately, both without even considering another person, was Kathy Bates. Perfect. For, Done. Next. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> so there's there's no there's no other. I th- I guess if you're gonna portray her as younger, Molly McCarthy could play her. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, no. But immediately <laughs> I'm it. like, no, no, no it's no, Kathy it's Bates. Kathy Bates. It's that Kathy was Bates. It. That's Done. it. Done. Uh, let's see what. And then uh, we said the other characters. Uh, Sophie Lyons, who again we did not talk about, but that's because we're saving her story for for next week because yeah. she has a movie all in herself. Uh, she was her number one student. She was her number one confidant. It seems like they were great friends like all their lives. And she became, as they talked about the, because they called uh, Mandelbaum the queen of fences and the queen of crime. So, you know. And they called Sophie Lyons the princess of crime. Right. We decided on uh, Evan Rachel Wood or yeah. Chloe Grace Moretz. Uh, but any any number of young actresses could play her. But uh, I thought that Evan Evan Rachel Wood would be a really good choice for her, really strong choice. Yeah, I, I think that she has the uh, the right attitude. Right. What about Peter Olney? We didn't really talk about any of these guys. Peter Olney, Gustav Frank. Uh, I, I was thinking uh, Paul Bettany for um, Peter Olney. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I love Paul Bettany. And, uh, and, and uh, Gustav Frank... I would go with someone a little older, but at the same time, like with enough charisma to be able to fool this woman who has what was called the best judge of character. Brian Cranston? Yes. <laughs> Brian Cranston. Yes. Yeah, no, that's, I'm like, you're just describing Brian Cranston. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Who would, uh, we need uh, Bill Howe and Abe Hummel. Paul Giamatti would be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Paul, Paul Giamatti. Fine. Yeah, Paul Giamatti would be fine. James Spader would be excellent. He has that uh, lawyer charisma. Yeah, exactly. And um, now this is another thing that we've been hearing a lot of feedback about. That you know, back when we were still doing this regularly before the move, uh, we need to name our movies. Yes. You know, and uh, some of our some of our listeners were talking about that. Just like, hey, name, why don't you name the movie that you're talking about? Uh, so I was thinking Queens of Crime because uh, Mendelbaum's uh, inner circle were were all women, and I thought that, that would be a, a good one. The the Queens of Crime or the Queen of Crime, if you want to make it singular. Uh, do you have anyone? No, I, I I think you hit the hit the mark on the Queens of Crime. Yeah, Queens of Crime would be good. Yeah, because and you're this gonna movie... have you're gonna have Sophie in it. Yeah. You're uh, she plays a smaller role 
in preparation for the the next movie. Right. And she's you're you're gonna really like her in this movie. So in the next movie, you're just that's it. That's who I want to see. Uh, you, uh, you know the um. Uh, this movie definitely passes the Bechdel test. Oh yeah, oh, both yeah. of them are going to. Oh yeah, no, this okay, strong female characters. Oh, it's great. Well, guys, uh, thank you for listening. I hope that people are still listening. That really, I'm, you know, I'm glad that um, I'm I'm glad that we're back, Alex. Every week now, come on, we got to do this. Even if people don't listen, we're gonna do it anyway. I know exactly. This is just something that we do for fun. All right, Alex. <laughs> uh, until next time, guys. <laughs>